Amen. Like I said, we're going to pick up tonight in uh, Galatians uh, chapter 3. Uh, I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 4 tonight. And, and kind of set the tone for kind of the directive we're going this, this evening. Really uh, uh, relevant. And you're going to see, here, here's what we talked about last week in verses 1 and 2. He said, O foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell upon you for the meaning of Christ Jesus' death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death upon the cross. So evidently these Galatians that were on the outskirts, amen, there in the Roman Empire, obviously they weren't there in Jerusalem that day that Jesus hung upon Golgotha's hill. But it was so clear to them, it, it was like being there. Let me, me ask you, you folks here that are, that are born again and you that are, are wanting to get born again. I uh, hope everyone here is. But do you remember that revelation of the cross that came into your life? Do you remember when it happened? Do you, it, 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 when I say happened, I'm not talking about some one-hit wonder, some day that you had this glorious epiphany. But I'm talking about when that thing began to settle on the inside of you and you understood, because of the transformation in your life, what happened upon that cross. When you looked in the mirror, you didn't recognize yourself or who you used to be. Folks, listen, it's one thing to kind of go through the religious motions and other people tell you that you're saved. But the, the whole Romans 8.16 principle that the Spirit itself will bear witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. That listen, man, I'm, it's just not talk. It wasn't just a, a prayer at some summer camp. It just wasn't a tank full of water that I got dipped into. But something happened and it became real to me. See, folks, until it becomes real to you, it until it becomes your reality by faith, You'll be able to get talked out of it. I think that's what happens many times on college campuses. And some of you saw the video I posted on Facebook this past week, and I was walking up, just getting ready to go. And a, a young man tried to hijack the camera in front of me, not, not literally take it, but jumped in front of it and spouted off some profanities. And I still talked to this for a second to kind of give himself some rope. And uh, then he said, he told me eventually from, from Ohio, some of you guys saw that with a young man named Jacob. Then he goes on to say, I went off to college. And I said, you put your relationship with Jesus on pause. And he got talked out of it. Well, because somewhere along the line, it hadn't become revelatory to him. It had been something that had been communicated to him and it was experienced. But once it becomes revelatory in your life, where do you go from there? See, I, I remember when it became more than just something that I did and it became who I am. Because if it's something you do, you can always choose not to do it. But once that relationship and that revelation becomes a part of you, to whom else would you go for you have the words of life? There's nothing better than him. There's nothing better than being in his presence and knowing him. So he said that to them. That's basically the message that he was giving them. Listen, you didn't see it, but the message is so clear to you. It's like seeing a picture of it. It's having the imagery. There's my grandson right there saying, Amen, Papa. Then he says in verse 2 tonight, he says, Let me ask you this one question. Let me ask you a question tonight. Did you receive... The Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses. He answers his own question because he asked it rhetorically, obviously. He said, of course not. He said, you receive the Spirit because you believe the message that you heard about Christ. And I'm going to pick up tonight. This is going to be our focus this evening in verses 3 and verse 4. He said, how foolish can you be? After starting your lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect? There's that scary word. By your own human Effort. How are you that began and started your Christian lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? In verse 4 he said, have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? 
Folks, as I mentioned in the onset of this teaching in Galatians, that the relevance and really the applicability of it is genuinely not any different uh, today than it was 2,000 years ago when it was first penned and spoken to the church in Galatia. And so when I read these things, I get excited because I see the timeless nature of the Word of God. Folks, that's what's so awesome about the Word of God. I could go back and I could, I could read some other uh, ancient work. I could re-pick up a, a, a Homer's uh, Odyssey or something like that, and it's dated. You know what I'm saying? There's, there's, there's nothing in it that, 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 that speaks to me in the contemporary sense. I could pick up some other ancient document or, or, or read about the, 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 the wars of, uh, of, of the Greeks and, and the Trojans. I could read those things, but it's not relative because it's not... Uh, uh, it's not contemporary to me. But when I pick up the Word of God, because that Word is a timeless Word, because it was birthed out of time. No, because us, we're always waiting on something to happen. And so we're, we're speaking of things about, we use things like, back in the day. You don't even qualify. I've said this before. Until you're 30, you don't even have a back in the day. So we'll give 30 your back in the day. But you see what we always talk about in terms of time? But folks, listen, the closest that we the closer we get to the revelation of Jesus, have you noticed the faster time goes? Time becomes immaterial. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I'll be 50 years old on the 26th of January. So y'all just remember that date. Uh, I like gift cards and stuff of that nature. Coffee's always a great gift. But you know what? The, the, the closer I get to him, the quicker it happens. Because I can remember vividly meeting Melanie at 16 years old. I remember it. I, I, I can remember the area that we were in. I can remember seeing her for the very first time. I can remember those, those initial conversations. And this is after 30 years of marriage and, and those three previous years of, of meeting her. I, I remember it vividly. It seems like it happened just like that. I remember turning 18 years old and thinking I was a man. And I remember blinking twice and being 30. I remember blinking once and being 40. And now I found myself not even getting to blink and I'm 50 years old with children and grandchildren and all these things. Folks, listen, the closer that we get to the unveiling of Jesus Christ and the revelation of eternity, what you're going to find is time is going to rapidly speed up. The analogy that I've often used, if you've ever played tetherball and you got the ball on the pole on the long rope and you hit it, but once that rope grabs a hold of that pole, what happens to that ball? It begins to speed up and you can't catch it. Folks, that's what time is like. Time is rapidly getting closer to that pole. And so we see things rushing in on us. So I see the Word of God that does the exact same thing. When I get closer to the, to the, to the manifestation and the realization of that, 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 that consummation of time, the Word becomes very, very much more vivid and clear to us. Folks, listen, I think about Matthew 13 where Jesus said, listen, there's mighty men, there's noble men, there's all these people that desire to see the things that you see and to hear the things that you hear. But you know what? It was withheld from them because of something called time. But for us rushing forward 2,000 years, I, I, I'm not one of those people who says, man, I wish I would have lived back then. Man, I'm glad I didn't live back then because I'd have been sitting around waiting for something to happen. Now, we stand literally on the, the, the precipice of, of, the, the, of Christ Jesus returning and us entering into eternity. These are the most exciting times that anyone has ever lived in, and God has graced us to be a part of it. And so when I look at that, I see just the relevance. And so he says, how foolish can you be? He said, you started your Christian lives in the Spirit, so why are you now trying to become perfect by your home, your, 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 your own human efforts. And folks, listen, I say all of what I said because the reason now is that there's 
Really, no other thing that the enemy does apart from attempting to really discredit the simplicity of that gospel, which is timeless, the real sheer power of that message, the message of the cross. And so we see, really, in the first two chapters, as the adversary wants to discredit the truth and the power of the word. And now we're entering into, the, really, the, the, the third of the six chapters here. And there's some, some different measures that Satan always utilizes in an effort to steal, kill, and destroy Believers within the body of Christ. If you're taking notes, I want you to write these things down as we're looking at verses 3 and 4 tonight in relationship to what we've been studying. These are things that are typically utilized by the adversary to steal, kill, and destroy. John 10.10, 10, of course. The first thing is to infiltrate the ranks of the church through manipulation and other deceptive measures. So to manipulate people through infiltrating the body of Christ. You know how he does that? Man, he'll get somebody that sits next to you that gets in your ear. They'll begin to do that. He'll, he'll, he'll come in and, and he'll, he'll become that, that friend. He'll say, man, I'm, I'm here with you. Folks, listen, I've, I've been pastoring nearly, nearly what, 20, 27 years, I guess it is now. I mean, you would not believe the number of people. I know uh, Brother John 316 has seen this too. Have come into churches that you've been associated with, you've served in. Listen, I'm here. I'm here for the duration this is where God has sent me. God has put me in this place. And you look up a few weeks later, maybe a few months, maybe even a year, and you say, where did you go? Well, God suddenly changed his mind. God who functions outside of time, the God who does not change, suddenly something happened. He's like, you know what? Oops, man, that's not really what I meant. So you see this change in the guard, but you think to yourself, when they left, did they leave it better? Or did they leave with accusations? Or did they leave with trying to discredit Folks, there's an infiltration that has long happened, I believe, within the body of Christ. And that's what the enemy does. Why? Because he wants to get himself close to the action. He wants to get himself close to it so he can work through uh, deceptive measures. The second thing he does is he discredits the leaders associated with a particular church or ministry. So he gets in close. He gets an ear of people. Then he begins to discredit the leaders. And that's exactly what happened with Paul. What happened? This was a man that poured his life down for that church in Galatia and all those churches that he had planted and, and, and invested in. Then all of a sudden these people had come in close to the church. They'd become a part of the body. And then they began to say, you know what? Man, he didn't treat you quite right on that situation, did he, Caleb? Man, you deserve more than that. I don't think he's, he sees your gift in this. I don't think he understands that. He's in it for himself. Are you sure you can trust that guy? Man, he said something that just seemed a little bit off. I think that guy's preaching false doctrine. I can't put a finger on it, but something's just not right. Have you heard all those phrases? I, I love that, that, that last one the best. I can't put a finger on it, but just something's just not right. You, you know what I'm saying, don't you? You, you, you? I don't know. Most people know, brother, but man, you got discernment. You've got to know what I'm saying. You, you've heard those things, haven't you? Maybe you even said those things a time or two yourself. And so he wants to discredit the leadership, begins to attack their character and all of these issues. The second thing he does, he provides a competing alternative to what's been taught. And he usually will claim some deeper revelation. Listen, I know that, but man, I've got a deeper revelation. I hear what your pastor's saying. I hear what that church is saying. I hear what that ministry's saying. But you know what? Man, that's just milk. Come a little bit closer. I want to share with you a deeper revelation. I want to offer you an alternative. I know what they're telling you, but... Man, that, isn't that a little bit legalistic? Isn't that a little bit too intense? You know, God wants you to be happy. God wants you to have some freedom. God wants you to have some liberty. There's, a, there's an alternative to all that narrow gate stuff. And you'll hear that stuff. The fourth thing is they'll gather support from others that, they, that may have issues or offenses 
with the particular leaders. They hurt you, and you know what, man, I can feel you. You, don't, you didn't deserve that. So they'll begin to, to do that thing that Korah did. Remember, Korah began to say, listen, man, we can hear from God just like Moses can. Well, you know the outcome of that. The earth opened up and swallowed uh, Korah up with all of those that were uh, supporting his, his division. The next thing they'll do is they'll divide and conquer through a systematic effort towards pulling people away and tackling and, and targeting the weaker, weaker sheep. Folks, says, listen, we are the body and we're fitly joined together, each one supplying the need of the other. But what the adversary does, he'll want to pull you off and isolate you. That way he can get your ear. There's no one there to ever correct those deficiencies or those parts of here, those blind spots that we get in our life. I was talking to a, a, a person who stood in. I was, I was just sharing with that just that exact thing about, man, we need to have people around that don't have a specific vested interest in what we're doing. And I, and I was sharing with him, I said, listen, I've got men that I can call on that have nothing to do with my ministry apart from having a relationship with me. And if I've got a decision or there's something I'm just thinking about, I'll call these people up and I'll say, hey, listen, let me tell you what I'm going through. Let me tell you what I'm praying about. Can you take a look at this from your vantage point? I'm not calling up my, my I'm not calling up Pastor Sam. He's, he's too vested. I'm not calling up Pastor Alex. He's got too much at stake. He's too close to the, the seat. But I'll, I'll call up some, some other pastors and men of God that walk in integrity. And I'll say, listen, we may have a blind spot. What are you seeing from where you're standing? But what the enemy wants to do, he wants to pull you out where you become that solitary voice and you're all by yourself. Folks, listen, Jesus sent his disciples out how? Two by two. Why? So if one got out of hand, one could correct. But folks, if we get that lone wolf mentality, we get that isolated mentality, that we become an authority, we become uh, 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 that, that person in and of ourselves, folks, it's dangerous. Why? Because he created Adam and Eve to reproduce. He created two that they could reproduce. And he's never going to send one out. And you'll see that many times. Somebody becomes that rogue element, and there's never any reproduction. All there are is seeds of discord rather than seeds of life. So that's the way the adversary works. Then finally, the sixth thing, he brings the subjects back into a place of bondage while convincing them that it is good. He'll say, listen, just like that's what happened with the Galatian church, he, they brought them back into the law and tried to uh, 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 convince them that the law was actually better for them than what they got uh, now with grace and God's mercy and the finished work of the cross of Calvary. So in Galatians 3, 1 and 2, the apostle acknowledges the treachery of all those false teachers. Then he shifts the responsibility back to those who were without excuse because they had personally heard the good news. They had had that revelation. They experienced the first-hand work of the Holy Spirit upon their lives. Now, here we are in Galatians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. So the apostle Paul, once again, he addresses an issue that's continued to hold the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in bondage for the last 2,000 years. And you read that, you may say to yourself, how is that something that has held the church in bondage? Once I share it with you, you're going to see it. And so what he does here, he poses this, this, this in a rebuttal form. And this, once again, kind of a rhetorical question he asks. He says, how foolish can you really be? After stating that your Christian lives, starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much of nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? So he said, how Foolish. Remember, we was talking about what that foolish was. It wasn't somebody that had some uh, some incapacity to know, but it was it wasn't somebody that was ignorant of the truth. And he said, "You're not suffering from some cognitive deficiency." He said, "But rather, you're simply choosing to ignore the truth and to embrace gross error." 
And so he says to him, he says, so what limit are you going to push this? How far are you going to go with this? Is there no limit to your utter foolishness and failure to repent once again and only to embrace the things that, that, uh, that didn't bring you victory and didn't ever bring spiritual victory into your life? Folks, listen, I could sit here tonight and write you a list on a dry erase board of the people who God had given an opportunity to victory that had walked back into that type of foolishness. Uh, Jeremy and, my, uh, and, and I sat down at, uh, the other day at, at breakfast or lunch. I can't remember. It seems like since he's been here, all we've done is eat. But uh, we were talking about people that I know that have, that have labored in the gospel with me for many, many years that are no longer in the gospel. Not only that, but men that had had marriages that started when Melanie's I had 30 years ago that are no longer with their wives. They, they went and found themselves somebody else. And it's, it's almost as though they never existed within the body of Christ. Because there's an indifference. There's no passion. There's no desire. And, and we sit there and we're perplexed. How is it? How could you find yourself in such deception? Now listen, I know the facts of it. I know the way the adversary works because I understand the Word of God. But because of who I am in Christ Jesus, it's unfathomable that you would ever find yourself going back to that mire that God has cleaned you up out of. And folks, we've got to come to a place of that revelation. It says, listen, you can't offend me out of my relationship. You can't disappoint me out of my relationship with Jesus. You can't do enough, say enough, act enough ways, not be supportive enough for me to say, I'm just going to throw my hands up. Why? Because I didn't begin in the flesh. I began in the spirit. And so how on earth am I going to let something of the flesh talk me out of something that happened supernaturally in the spirit? And so if we find ourselves walking in those things, we've got to ask ourselves, what was it that deceived us back into that place? And so the next question should be asked and come across it, it, is this, is why is that same attitude being conveyed across mainline churches and pulpits all across this nation? And here's what I mean by there. He said, after starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, after starting your Christian lives in the spirit. See, I'd love to be able to go through churches across this nation and ask that question. How is it that the body of Christ, regardless of what the name is on the marquee, how is it that somehow the church gets people started in the spirit, but? Folks will say things like, you know what, listen, I believe in Jesus and all, but listen, we've got to get back to reality. You ever heard people say that? Not, not realizing that faith is the substance. Faith is the hypostasis. Faith is the reality. Folks, that's the problem. We left reality and we went into carnality. But when we're saved by grace through faith, reality, that which is eternal, then we become His workmanship. We become something that was created out of that which is eternal. So how is it that we start our Christian lives in the Spirit? Well, think about John chapter 3. Very famous. You know John 3.16. I'm not going to read that. I'm going to go to the very first of uh, John chapter 3. We love that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. But how did He get to that point? Well, I'm going to tell you how He got to that point. He got to that point by saying there was a man named Nicodemus. He was a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. And after one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. He said, he said, Rabbi, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Okay? How did he know that? How did he know that? 
Because it says how you do that. Because your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Keep that in your head just for a second. Jesus replied, he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, what do you mean? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of the Spirit. Humans can produce only human life. That's being born of water. The amniotic fluid, he gave that example. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. And so there's some things that we want to look at that really should be obvious and we need to understand about this conversation that happened. Number one, Nicodemus had that religious thing down. Period. He had the religious thing down. What's dangerous about saying something like that is A, anytime you use the word religion, there's this, there's this phrase that people use all the time. And, and pastors preach. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. That's so cliche, nobody even knows what it means. Amen, amen. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. Praise God. Preach that. And so why are you so religious and you don't have a relationship? Well, I go to church. Well, you're religious. I sing in the choir. Well, you're religious. Because, folks, a relationship is so much deeper than that. A relationship has power. A relationship has fidelity. A relationship has uh, uh, staying power. It has victory. Religion is all that stuff that the people that say it's not about religion, it's about relationship. Relationship causes you to draw nigh to Him. Relationship causes you to want to pray. Relationship causes you to want to worship. Relationship causes you to want to be in the Word. They'll call that religious. Why? Because woe unto them that call good evil and evil good and put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So we, he had that religious thing down, but he, re, he was referred to as a religious leader and also a Pharisee. And the, that's, that's an important part as well in relationship to this, so keep that in mind as well. So he was called a religious leader, so he was on the leading edge. He was somebody that was an example and a Pharisee, so he had a particular role. He, had a, he was like the special forces of religion. And so the second thing, B, and here's what I, I told you about going back to that, uh, uh, how they knew that he was uh, sent from God. He saw the miracles as proof or evidence that God was with Jesus. So the religious man who had no spiritual understanding, the thing that he utilized to confirm who God, who Jesus was, was the miracles that he saw. And that's interesting in light of other scriptures. And write this down, Matthew chapter 12, verse 39. This is... Jesus speaking. So he was saying it was Jesus speaking. He said, A wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And so he said that at the end of this long sermon in, 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 in Matthew chapter 12. And he was talking about keeping the Sabbath. And, and he healed the man on the Sabbath that had the withered hand. And, and he was talking about the prophetic fulfillment of his Messiahship. And uh, that's where he dealt with those and said, you cast out devils in the name of Beelzebub. And he said, listen, if you sin against or blaspheme against God, it'll be forgiven you. If you blaspheme against Jesus, it'll be forgiven you. But if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, it's not going to be forgiven you in this life or the, or the life to come. And so then he says the issue of speaking evil, and it comes from a person's heart, and, and all of these things that he was doing, then all of a sudden, he says that. He said, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet. That was on the tail end of them seeing all this stuff. So, that same religious people who attempted to discredit 
his miracles are now asking for another miracle. Did you ever think about it in terms of that? The same ones that says you cast out devils in the power of the name of Beelzebub. The same ones that wanted to discredit him for healing the withered hand on, on the Sabbath day. Now what are they saying? They're saying, show us another miracle. Well, they didn't believe the first two they saw. But now they're saying, if you want to confirm who you are, show me something else. And Jesus said that powerful thing. Listen, the reason you want that is because you're wicked and you're an adulterous generation. But what's going to prove I'm the Son of God isn't all those miracles. It's going to be the sign that was given to Jonah. It's going to be the very fact that I'm going to die and I'm going to come up out of that grave because death is not going to have any sting. Death is going to be swallowed up in victory because the only thing, the sting of death is sin. And even though I was tempted like you are, I'm without sin. Death can't hold me because the only thing that keeps you dead is the presence of sin. That's what's going to confirm who I am. Not the very fact that I walked on water or opened blinded eyes or called Lazarus out. Those aren't the things that confirm who I am. What confirms who I am? Why? Because there's other people that will cast out devils. It doesn't make them God. Somebody else walked on water. Did it make him God? Somebody else opened the blinded eyes and healed all manner of sickness and disease. There was people with Peter that shadow was cast upon the lame and they walked. Did that make them God? Absolutely not. What made him God was the very fact that sin had no power or dominion over him. So, back to Nicodemus in John 3, 3. He tells him, you must be born again if you're going to see the kingdom of God. Or the kingdom of God being that place of influence and that place where God's dominion is realized. Is, do you see the kingdom of God? He said it doesn't come with ocular evidence. It doesn't come with observation. But it's inside of you. So is his dominion operating and evident inside of you? Amen. <laughs> Folks, the way we know that is that does he operate in that place of authority inside of us? And so if the kingdom has been realized, what happens? It makes, me, it, makes it very simple for me to submit to God's word. It makes, me, it makes it very simple for me to hear his voice. Why? Because I'm operating within the parameters of his dominion and of his authority. Listen, I, I could go to Russia and I wouldn't know what I should do and what I shouldn't do. I, I don't operate. I don't live. I wasn't birthed within the confines of that community. I could go to, to, to Venezuela and I, and, and I wouldn't know the requirements of those communities, what I could legally do or not. Why? Because that's not the dominion that, that has it. But you know what? I could probably tell you, I, 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 I'm not a person that's, that's pursuing a, a career in civics or anything, but I can certainly tell you pretty much what's expected of me living in this country. I know how fast to drive. I know what I need to say and what I don't. I know not to yell. i got a bomb in an airport. Now, there, there's certain things that I know just aren't culturally acceptable in, 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 in this community. Why? Because I live within the confines of the United States of America. And so if I'm living within the dominion and the, the revealed authority of God, Man, there's a truth inside of me. It's the same thing he asked him. How foolish can you be? I thought you were birthed into a kingdom, and so you had a kingdom understanding. I thought you were birthed into a kingdom, so you had a kingdom authority. I thought you were birthed into a kingdom, so you had a kingdom humility. I thought you were birthed into a kingdom, so you had a, a, a kingdom submission. So how is it that you were birthed into that kingdom 
that none of those characteristics no longer exist in your life. That you're all of those things and you've fallen victim and prey to all of those tactics, those six things that I gave you that the adversary uses. You're divisive. You've, you've given ear and credence to, 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 to vain speech. You find yourself uh, speaking against leaders. All of those things that are outside of the kingdom that only seek to infiltrate the kingdom, why do those things define you more than the characteristics of the kingdom? Folks, this in the house divided against itself is not going to stand. Then he goes on to say to Nicodemus, he said, he said, not in the flesh, not born in the flesh or by water or the natural birth, but rather spiritually or the new birth where everything, including our perspective, is fully changed. Folks, when you get saved, God just blindfolds you so you can't see your past. What does he tell us? That if we're in him, that we are a, a new person. That everything changes. That we have the opportunity to say no to those things that defined us in the past. And so all our ties, all of this ties directly to Galatians 3.3. 3. He said, after starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, because it's a return to the same foolishness of experiencing something spiritual, yet trying to explain it away or undermine its power by once again focusing back on the futility of the flesh or that old man, that old nature, your human nature. He said, how is it that you started in the spirit, you started with that revelation, that truth, that victory. Now you're going back to these things that you can do. Well, the Judaizers are those that infiltrated it in the Galatian church. What they were attempting to do is reintroduce something, which in their case was the law, that would guarantee and in a sense justify failure. That was the message of the Judaizers. Let me bring something in that's going to guarantee that you fail. Why? Because if I offend in one point of the law, I offend in all. So if righteousness cometh by the law, then the cross of Christ is ineffectual. So they were bringing something into the, question, into the equation that guaranteed and justified failure. Because the natural man is not subject to the law, neither indeed can he be. Why? Because that law, it was powerless in the flesh, is what Romans chapter 8 tells us. But the, the law of the spirit of life of the spirit of life that born again experience has set me free from the law of sin and death, which was the law of Moses. It set me free. And so now I have a freedom from those things and now I have the power to walk in victory. So it guaranteed and it justified failure. What does that message sound like today? That message today uses this terminology, which is so widespread. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Christians aren't perfect, they're just forgiven. Christians are guaranteed to fail, and we justify it, because even though we began in the Spirit, we were born in the Spirit, we still walk in the flesh. Folks, the message has just been repackaged. The exact same message that infiltrated the church 2,000 years ago is so widespread that it's not something that we're saying to ourselves, how foolish can you be? How on earth can somebody that's been blood-bought, filled with the Holy Ghost, has the Word of God as the sword of the Spirit in their life, how on earth can we justify and think to ourselves that we cannot walk in victory over that sin nature? Because we've allowed something to come in and sit next to us and speak into our ears and say, listen, that preacher don't know what he's talking about. Man, you're going to fail every day. Man, you're just a man. Folks, listen, I was just a man 30 years ago. 
And that man called Jesus, who was the son of the living God, came down in the form of sinful flesh and for sin. He came into my life, and now he sits on the throne room of my heart. I'm like a superhero now. You hear me? Now I can do all things through Christ Jesus who gives me strength. And I've been crucified with Him. And it's no longer Troy Bond who was weak in the flesh. But it's Christ Jesus who lives inside of me in the life. Now that I live, He told the Galatian church that just five verses earlier. I live by faith. Not in my failures or my ability or not in the things that I've learned or what somebody whispered in my ear. But I live by faith in the Son of God. Who died and gave himself for me. So I'm no longer just a man. I am born again. I've been adopted under the beloved. The spirit itself bears witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God. You can't talk me out of that. You can't offend me out of that. You can't fire me out of that. Why? Because it began in the spirit. And honey, you can't touch that. You hear what I'm saying? But something has brought itself into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That wants to guarantee failure. Oh, it's okay that you're a pervert. You can't help it. It's okay that you, you left your, your wife and found somebody else. You can't help it. God will forgive you. You couldn't do anything about it. It's okay that you're walking in that addiction, in that bondage. You know what? That's just the way it is. Just keep on trying. How is it that we become so foolish not to believe what Jesus Christ has done for us at the cross of Calvary? Is it really such a... New things. See, folks, listen. They knew that it was impossible to keep all the requirements of the law because they nor any of their predecessors were able, ever able to do it. Abraham, he couldn't do it. He predated the law. He couldn't do it. He, was, he believed God was accounted to him for righteousness. He, he couldn't even tell the truth. David certainly couldn't do it. The man after God's own heart. And we look at all the Psalms and we want to compare ourselves to David. I don't want to compare myself to David. You know why? Because i got the Holy Ghost inside of me. David just had it resting upon him. Listen, I've been changed. I've been transformed. i got a new and a living way. i got a blood covenant that he just longed for. Or Moses who spoke to God face to face as a man spoke to his friend. He, I'm, I'm not just a friend of God. I'm a child and a son of God adopted into the beloved. I don't want that old time religion. Amen. I like what I got. Why? Because it's the new and it's the living transformational way in our life. So they knew that they couldn't keep the law because the best of the best of them couldn't keep the righteous requirements of the law, but they were hell-bent on setting this church up for failure by taking them from a place of victory or dependence upon the Spirit and into a place of defeat, the flesh religion that was interested in seeing miracles performed upon the flesh but could not see the same Spirit giving the believer power over the sin nature. I want to say that again. They were hell-bent on bringing people into a bondage that wanted to see miracles upon the physical body, but could not believe that God could do something for the spirit man. Folks, isn't that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Isn't that the spirit-filled church? And so the, this whole, there's a whole camp of professing to be spirit-filled Christians that believe that the Holy Spirit gives us power to raise the dead. I can take you to churches of every ilk and every every uh, every persuasion, holiness churches, charismatic churches, full gospel churches, and I can say you believe that God gives us power to raise the dead. They'll shout me down, Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Preach that. Amen. They'll do that. The, the God will give you the power to heal the sick. They'll have a line going out the door, and we'll be slapping oil over everybody from now to kingdom come. They'll believe God can heal the sick. 
They'll believe that God can open the blinded eyes or stretch out a shortened limb or, or do a plethora of all these astonishing miracles. They won't have no problem believing that God can do that. They'll tell you to pray for people, and that's part of the kingdom business. And if we're walking in the Spirit, man, we'll do those things too. And greater work shall you do because I go to be with the Father. Well, you, but you start talking about that same Holy Spirit. He's suddenly powerless in giving a person victory over sin. You hear it. You experience it. God can heal the sick. But man, He can't free me from my mind. God can raise somebody whose heart has stopped beating. But man, He can't give me the ability to forgive. God can stretch out a, a, a limb that's too short. But there's no way the Spirit has the power to allow me to say no to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. I want you to be forgiven. I just want you to be spiritually sick in the process. Having begun in the Spirit, are you going to try to complete this thing in the flesh? If you believe that God can give you victory on sin, they'll call you a heretic. They'll call you a self-righteous person. If you believe the same Spirit that opens the blind can keep you from yielding to temptation, they'll say that you're of the devil. How foolish can this be after starting your Christian lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain. And folks, this is where some very, very familiar passages and challenging verses come into play. I want to string a few of them together for you tonight. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Matthew 5, 48. I want to go on the record and say, I'm committed to Jesus. I'm committed to Jesus, okay? I'm not committed to the devil. I'm not committed to sin. I'm not committed to Troy Bond. I'm committed to Jesus, and Jesus never fails. Do you hear me? I go on the record as saying that. Matthew 5, 48 says this. He went on the record as saying this. He said, be ye therefore perfect... Even as your heavenly Father is perfect. He didn't say do perfect or be religious. He said be perfect or be spiritual. See folks, I don't always do perfect. I don't always do perfect. But the day I got born again and the Spirit of God came into my life, I became perfect. You hear me? I became perfect by promise, and I'm seated with Him in heavenly places. And so daily, I work that salvation out of me with fear and trembling. And so if I don't do perfect, it isn't because I can't. It's just because I don't. Because I am perfect. Because He made me perfect. To say anything less is religious self-righteousness. See, I'm perfect because he calls me perfect. Not because Troy Bond jumped through the right hoops, memorized the right scripture, or done enough religious or, 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 or sanctimonious type of activities. I'm perfect because I put my faith in the only one and the only place that could make me that way. Because I want to go to heaven. And you know how much imperfection makes it into heaven? Zero. And folks, if you think that suddenly something's going to happen in your spiritual life between now and the time that you die, it's not going to happen. People get that idea. 
Listen, man, I got saved. Well, what did you get saved from? Well, I got saved from sin. So why are you so committed to it? So if I got saved, something happened, and I became a brand new person. The Bible doesn't say if any man is in Christ, he's a new person. But the day he died, he's going to become a newer person. It says it's appointed that a man wants to die, and not a transformation, but wants to die, and then judgment that's going to validate and look into that transformation that happened in a person's life when they accepted Jesus. But people get the idea, listen, I get saved, and man, I'm just going to do my own thing, but when I die, all of a sudden, a bell's going to ring, and I'm going to get some little angel wings, and I'm going to suddenly be singing with the angels in heaven. Folks, listen, I'm saved now. Do you hear me? My spirit, man, is saved now. And the question arises is, what do I want to walk in obedience to? Because my spirit is willing. In other words, my spirit is dialed in to the will of God. This is God's will, even your sanctification, to be set apart for my service. So I can either walk in the will of God, or I can walk in the will of the flesh. And so God has given me the ability, through the person of the Holy Spirit, to choose life. I have set before you life and death. You can't choose life. Is that what he said? I've set before you life and death. Choose life. I've set before you the flesh, and I've set before you the spirit. By all means, choose the spirit. Because if I walk in the spirit, I'm not going to fulfill the lust or the desires of the flesh. Folks, that's B-flat basic Bible. Do you hear me? That isn't, that isn't Rambo Christianity. That isn't something that was only relegated to the, to the, to the Isle of Patmos with, with the revelation of John. Folks, that is B-flat basic gospel that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has been talked out of today just like the Judaizers tried to come and infiltrate and talk the church out of it then. Folks, we'll buy into all of this grandiose stuff that tickles our fancy, that, that, that coddles our sin, that entertains us on a spiritual level, but it never transforms us. And it holds us in check and in bondage. You know 2 Corinthians 5, 17. I want to read that to you, then I'm going to keep reading. Therefore, if any man, includes you ladies, too, is in Christ, they're a brand new person. Old things are passed away. Behold, what... All things, all things are become new. And all things are of God. And so those things that are new are God things or things in eternity. Who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, but he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are his highest level of representation here on earth as though God did beseech you by us for we pray as in Christ said that you be reconciled to God for he has made him to be sin or to be a sin sacrifice for us who know no sin that we might be made the what? the righteousness the struggling sinner the defeated person that's interested is that what he said? that he went through what he went through not so we can be committed to sin, but that we might be the manifestation of the righteousness of God in Him. Folks, that's the message of victory. This is the victory that overcomes. Even my faith in the finished work of what Jesus Christ did upon the cross of Calvary. So the question is, is what are you committed to? Then Romans 6, 1 through 3. Well then, should we keep on singing so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? 
There's another one of those rhetorical questions. Of course not. Are you that foolish? Since we have died to sin, we can continue to no longer to live it. And I'm going to jump down to verse 18 of that same Romans 6. Now you are free from the slavery to sin. And you have become slaves to what? Why is that? Because we have been made righteous in Him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 You have been made slaves to righteous living because of the weakness of your human nature. He said, listen, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand this. Previously, you let yourself, you let yourselves be slaves to the impurity and lawlessness which led into deeper sin. That's called self-righteousness or dependent upon self to make you righteous. But now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation. I love that right there in verse 20. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. You weren't obligated to do right because you couldn't be. And what was the, the result? You're now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that ended in eternal doom. Folks, listen. When I was in the flesh, I was obligated to sin. But if I'm in the Spirit, I'm obligated to righteousness. I've got an, an obligation to walk in righteousness. Verse 22, But now you are free from the power of sin and become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and the results in eternal life. For the wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I'm a slave. I'm in bondage to righteousness. I kind of like that. If I'm going to be in bondage, I'm going to be in bondage to something that's going to produce victory, that's going to put me in the presence of God. Then Hebrews 10, 14 you know that, for by one offering he has perfected forever those that are sanctified, those that are set apart for his service. We usually stop right there, but look what he goes on to say. Whereof the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, also is a witness to us. For after he has said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them in those days, said the Lord. I will put my laws in their heart, and in their minds I'll write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. They're going to be clean. Now, whereas remission of these, there's no more an offering for sin. And having therefore, brethren, boldness now to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And now we have a high priest over God. Let us draw near with a true heart, heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is... Faithful that has promised these things. So how foolish are we? Having begun in the Spirit, having been born again by the Spirit, are we suddenly going to find ourselves digressing in putting our strength in the flesh or our own personal abilities? Folks, God forbid. Folks, see, that was the challenge to the Galatian church. They had a genuine encounter with Jesus, but they had more confidence in the things of the flesh than they had in the things of God. Big problem then, even a bigger problem now. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, we want to be committed, Lord God, to that relationship that we have with you in the Spirit. Father, we know, Lord God, that in our flesh dwells no good thing. But Father, we thank you, Lord God, that that was before we came to Christ Jesus. Because we no longer walk in the flesh. And now there's a good thing that dwells inside of us according to your word in 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do not know that your flesh, because of faith and repentance, is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
So, Father, I thank you that we've been changed, we've been transformed, we've been empowered, Lord God, to walk holy. Not because we are perfect, but because you've perfected us through faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name.